Well, good morning. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for uh, coming in person. It's an encouragement to uh, all of our staff and so many others that you're here today. Some people are still listening online, and we're inviting them to come back sooner rather than later. We're in a uh, a hot series. This has been a hot week, hadn't it? A hot week. And I, I I hope you're feeling okay. Uh, you probably, like me, <clears throat> you might have stayed up too late a couple nights. Uh, so try not to yawn at me while I'm up here, okay? First service, I got a yawn or two, and, and you know, I'm, I'm apt to call out a yawn. So try not to do that to me. Can you swallow, swallow your yawn? Uh, you've seen people do that, right? But it's been a, it's been a week. It's been some kind of a week, I'll tell you. Um, uh, the whole country is tired. We're tired. And as Christians, as the church, I think we, we are tired. But we, we can't stop, can we? We can't give up. We have renewed energy every week. That's why we meet together every week. We meet together every week to get our batteries recharged, to come together, to get a, get a jolt uh, of energy and come together and let the Holy Spirit move among us. I, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the church back in the... 70s, you know, was my time in the church. <clears throat> and I believe back in the 70s, you could have made a statement like this. You could have said, America is a Christian nation, and the church is flourishing. I think you could have said that. You know, in the 1950s, a guy by the name of Will Herberg wrote a book called Protestant Catholic Jew. You can get this book. And in this book, he he says that in the 1950s, just about everybody went to church. Everybody went. People down the street went. Your family went. Your neighbors went. Everybody went to church. Everybody had faith. And boy, have times changed, haven't they? I don't think any one of you would disagree with me today if I said we are in a battle. If you do, do disagree with that, then I don't know where you've been living for the last uh, 10 years or one year or one week. So we're in a battle. We're in spiritual warfare. We haven't talked about this a lot over the years. You know, every, every message, every series is to equip you to fight this battle. It's to equip you to fight this battle. To be firm in your faith. But we are paying a special attention to it this week, last week, and next week. And we're calling the series Spiritual Warfare because that's what's happening. Again, this is not a new battle. This is an old battle. This battle's been going on for eons. It's been going on since long before you were born. And I was born. Before we came to this earth. It's been going on. It's the battle for the heart and soul of humanity. That's the battle. And God is the victor already. I I don't know if that's a spoiler alert to you, but you should know that. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting with victory. We have to remember that. Sometimes we think we're fighting for victory. We learned that last week. So Ephesians 6 is our main text. Every single day we're in this battle. Ephesians 6 kind of uh, captures this battle. Puts it in one place. This battle has been known and we can read about it through the whole Bible. Genesis to Revelation. 
We're going to read some from Revelation today. But this is kind of captured in Ephesians 6. So let me read it for you, okay? From uh, Ephesians 6. We read two of these, three of these last week. We're going to pick those up again and go through verse 20. All right? You can follow along with your eyes as I read. The Apostle Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that wherever or whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And that's the Apostle Paul asking them to pray for him. So it's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. We talked about this battle last week. Last week we kind of introduced the series by reminding you of the enemy. Who is our enemy? You might have thought, well, I've got problems in my marriage or problems at work or problems in the community or problems in our country. And you might want to point to somebody like your spouse or your boss or a co-worker. You might want to point to a politician or, you know, somebody with flesh and blood. But Paul makes it clear here, doesn't he? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We have to remember that. Flesh and blood may be being used for evil, but we need to pray for them to hear the gospel and to come to Jesus. They're being used by the forces. And you say, well, I thought there was only one devil. I think the devil has demonic powers. And they are just like the hierarchy and the structure of angelic beings. We believe that Michael was an archangel. We believe that Lucifer was probably an archangel. And just in the same way, the spiritual world has a hierarchy of leadership. So, under the leadership of Lucifer, who was the morning star, the one that shined the light on, and came back to God and reported that everything in his creation was good and perfect, and he deserved all the glory and praise. But one day, he decided he wanted some glory and praise. He wanted to make himself like God. The Bible tells us this in Isaiah 12, or 14, one of those, 12, I think 12, 12 to 14. Just like he was kicked out of heaven, one-third, we believe from Revelation 12, of the angels went with him. And now there's a hierarchy. The devil has minions working for him. Ark demons, if you will, in charge. Those are the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So that's the enemy. It's the devil. He's in an unseen world, and he is got his people, if you will, I'll use the word people, but they're not people, they're demons, they're fallen angels, that's what demons are, fallen angels, who are working for him. That's the devil. 
He wants to destroy your life, your marriage, your reputation. He wants to destroy everything about you. And ultimately, he wants to destroy your life, your soul, and take it down with him when he goes. He wants to divide if he can't destroy. If he can't divide, he wants to distract. That was last week's message. The devil's at work. The devil's at work. Devil's at work. And we need to get to work, don't we? Now, the devil's no dummy. He's no dummy. He can read. He can read just like you can read. Matter of fact, he's probably a speed reader. He can read and read fast. He's read the end of the book. Have you read the end of the book? I hope you've read the end of the book. Because the end of the book says, we win. We win. Now, so, this should make a difference in how we live our life. Now, in my understanding of the Bible, and I'll say that because there are people who disagree with me, and that's okay. We can disagree. They can be wrong if they want to. <laughs> Not really. You know, there's, we can disagree on a whole lot of things. But in my understanding of the Bible, from Hebrews 2.14 is the, a, a main passage, the cross of Calvary pinned the devil down. Like a dog on a chain. That's my understanding. That the devil is pinned. You're like, preacher, come on. You see what's going on in our world? How can the devil be chained? Well, the devil is still on a chain. He's got a swath of territory. And if you enter into that swath of territory, just like entering into the, the, uh, the, the influence or the circle of your neighbor's dog, you're liable to get bit and, and wounded. And hurt and come out bloody and bleeding and scarred for life. You stay out of there. You stay out of there and you'll be fine. This is what we call the church age. <clears throat> I believe the devil's pinned. I think he's pinned like a dog on a chain. The cross was the pin that pinned him down. We live in the church age. Do you understand the power we have in the church age, we have this power for a time. Unfortunately, we have mismanaged, abused, given up, conceded, forfeited this power. One of the, you know, again, Will Herberg wrote that book about the 1950s where more people were going to church in America than weren't going to church. We went to sleep somewhere along the way. Church went to sleep. And we let atheists and skeptic high school teachers and university professors and people out in culture and leaders steal the hearts and minds of our kids. We let them take the hearts and minds of our kids. And our kids can grow up going to church. They're in the back room right now. And they can go off and go to college. And within one semester, within one semester, their heart is turned. Their brain is rewired and they are off on another pursuit and mom and dad are old-fashioned narrow-minded they believe what they believe but I know the truth and that's what's happening it's now it's not seven out of ten it's as much as eight out of ten kids who are active in church I'm talking about the kids who don't go to church I'm talking about the kids who go to church eight out of ten now turn from their faith if you want to validate what I'm saying, just ask around. First, look at your, if you have grown kids like I do, ask yourself, are my kids 
in church? Are my grandkids in church? If they are, good for you. You're, you're of the 20%. But I bet you know people whose kids were in church, and now they've kind of drifted off. And it's not that they don't believe in God anymore. It's that they just don't really have time for God anymore. I want to tell you something. we got to wake up. The church needs to wake up. Because we're in a battle. We're in a serious battle for the hearts and souls of our children. And the pursuit of the American dream is going to send us straight to hell. If your pursuit is to have a career and, and have a job and, 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 and do things that can bring you what the rich young ruler thought was his livelihood or his life, then you'll turn away just like he did. So, you know, this is a serious topic. Now, you might say, well, Dave, I don't believe in your theology. I don't believe the devil's loose. I want to show you. The, John saw this. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20, I believe John is seeing a picture, you know, in, in the book of Revelation. I don't have time to explain it now. I don't think I could if I had time. Uh, John sees things past, present, and future. Past, present, and future. That's right there in the first chapter. The things that were, the things that are and the things that will be. And so what we have to figure out is what's past, present, and future. I think, I think a lot of the, the, what he describes in the book of Revelation is ongoing. It's past, present, and future. It's the state of things. But here I think he's getting a glimpse of what happened at Calvary. I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss and holding his hand, in, in his hand a great chain. There's the chain. He sees the dragon... That ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan and bound him for a thousand years. There we go. He's on a chain for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until a thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. So I think this is this thousand year period is what we call the church age. In my theology, you can disagree if you want. In my theology, the numerology, 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000, wherever those words, those numbers are used, especially in the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, and some other places that talk about the end of time. Those represent a completed time. It's a time of completion. So 1,000 years, for me, is not literal. It's figurative that defines the church age. A time that has a beginning and has an end. It's not like eternity. It has no beginning and no end. The church age has a beginning and has an end. It started at Calvary. It started on the day of Pentecost. It will come to an end. The church age will come to an end. It will come to an end. When will it come to an end? When the Lord comes back. When the Lord returns. When the Lord returns, the devil will be loosed for a thousand... Devil's chained for a thousand years. The devil will be loosed for a short time. Just a short time. What's he going to do? You're saying, but preacher, it's so bad out there now. What's going to happen when the devil's loosed? That's right. That's right. You think it's bad now? It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. And by the way, it's getting progressively worse during this thousand years. But don't fret. Because this is the climax of the battle. Now, I think now what he's seeing is future. So, when the thousand years are over, we're in, I believe we're in the thousand years. Satan will be released from his prison. Uh-oh. What's he going to do? He's going to go out to deceive the nations in the four corners 
four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog. Don't get caught up in Gog and Magog. Doesn't matter where those are. And to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. There's a bunch of them. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people. Uh-oh. We're surrounded. But it's like that old Marine gunny sergeant. He said, as he radioed out, he said, we, we're being flanked on the right, flanked on the left. They're in front of us and they're behind us. We can, we can hear them breathing. And we got them right where we want them. That's what he said. That's what's going to happen here. Have you ever seen the movie, that great movie, uh, uh, World War II, the first, uh, not World War II, Vietnam movie, the first Vietnam movie, that uh, Hal Moore was the colonel? Anybody remember that movie? Well, great movie. And we were soldiers once and young, he said. And I don't know if you remember that battle, but they had to call out Broken Arrow. You know what Broken Arrow is? Broken Arrow is when U.S. troops are being overrun. They're being overrun, and we need all available assault on them. And if you remember, they sent, you know, it was out then. The Vietnam War was out. It was out of the bag now. It was no longer a conflict. It was a war because every battleship, uh, you know, in that area were sending uh, uh, airplanes. You know, they were sending bombers and fighter jets to lay down some fire right in close. I mean, right on top of them. You remember that? Great battle. Great movie. So, the city he loves, God's people are surrounded, but fire came down. There's the, there's the Air Force. I'll give you guys some credit, Air Force. I mean, the Army's been there. We've been there. We've been there fighting. All right? We're holding the line. But we need the Air Force, maybe the Navy, to launch those birds. Fire came down from heaven. What, what happened there? Fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Boom! People say, oh, the battle of... Armageddon's come. It's not much of a battle. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night for a little while. Know what it says? That's the fate of the devil. Forever and ever tormented. Thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. Now that should give us some encouragement because we know this battle. We know the fate. We know the ending of the battle, right? Let's not forget that. So anytime the devil, and this is not original with me, anytime the devil tries to bring up your past, you remind him of his future. And don't be afraid to talk out loud to the devil. You know, when you're in your car, not in a group of people. You know, you might do it in a group. <laughs> Jesus did. Jesus spoke the word of God to the devil. You can do that. You can do that. Tell him to get behind you. Tell them to get back. Say, nana, nana, boo-boo. I know where you're going. I'm not going with you. And uh, that's, that's the way we got to treat this, folks. It's real. And it's going to happen to you before you leave church here today. You're going to have part of the battle to fight. Maybe it's your attention. Maybe it's uh, something's going on this afternoon. Maybe something's going on this week. Maybe something happened last week. But you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to fight. So, last week we talked about the enemy and how he worked. I, want, I just wanted to show you. I don't, want to, I don't want to explain this series and explain this warfare that we're in without telling you how it ends. Don't ever forget that. It ends this way. So what are our weapons? And this won't take too long. 
What are our weapons? Paul describes them here in Ephesians chapter 6. And here's the first weapon. The first weapon is really the, if you think about it, it's just to choose your side. That is a weapon. Choosing your side is a weapon. You know, if you leave yourself out there for somebody to pick you up, you know, like an athlete, I'm going to be a free agent out here. I'm going to go to the team who offers the most. I'm going to go to, I'm going to, go to the people who are going to treat me the best. If you do that, then I guarantee you're going to pick, be picked up by the other side. Because he offers worldly pleasure, and he offers lots of things for a short time. And if you're not careful, you'll go after the glitz and the glamour. And you won't go after the glory of God. And so, this is a weapon. This is a weapon. I think, you know, I don't think it's all worked out. I think God gave us the gospel because this was a weapon. You think, well, no, no, no. So, listen, why would the apostles live their lives and give their lives to torture and destruction and death unless the gospel was so important? Bible says, Joshua said, you know, this is a choice that's been around for a long time. Choose for yourselves this day who you're going to serve. Make a choice. God's not going to twist your arm. God's not going to decide for you. God says, make your choice. He told the rich young ruler, make your choice. Do this and then make your choice. And the rich young ruler said, I think I'm going to choose what I got instead of what you can give me. And so, the Bible says in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's like the village waiting for the message to come about the approaching army. Are you, know, you going to bring us good news? Were they defeated at the next town? Or are they going to bring us bad news? And when I see him coming and he's kind of dancing like this, he's coming on around the mountain. Uh, she'll be coming on around the mountain. He's coming down and we see, oh, we love to see those shoes. We love to see those feet coming to bring good news to us. And that's what he's describing here. It's good news. It's the gospel. And it's the power of God, Paul said. The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. This is why sharing the gospel is so important. Well, we've really lost our zeal in the American church and we've lost our fervor for sharing the gospel. But listen, let me tell you something. The souls, the hearts and minds of our kids and a, a nation is at stake here. And we have to let them know that there is a God who loves them and he sent his son to die for them and if they will choose his side, they can win this fight and win this battle. And some of us in the church need to hear this because we're, we're trying to be neutral. We're trying to sit it out. We're trying to play it safe. We're trying not to offend anybody. We're trying to be good neighbors. What kind of a neighbor is it if you see your neighbor's house on fire and they're going to die and you let them burn up? It's not a very good neighbor. This is a weapon. This is a weapon. Choose the side of the champion and you're, you've, half the battle's done. I mean, you're with him. You're with him. He's fighting battles now. All you got to do is walk with him. 
walk in the light. That's a, that's a, that's a weapon. And then the second, the second weapon, Paul goes into great detail here, is the full armor of God. Now, this is a defensive weapon, but you know, a, a good offense includes a good defense, right? Offense has to come through, but you've got to have a good defense. Now, I'm not talking to you Mountaineer fans, but you've got a good defense, you've got to also have a good offense. And if you don't, you're not going to win. So, the full armor of God is described here. This is the place where we get it. I'm going to go through it quickly. And this is, this is defending on particular things. For, twice he says this. Twice he says, put this on. First of all, there's the belt of truth. This defends against deception. You remember the uh, devil slid into Eve and he said, Hey, uh, did God really say that? Did God really say that? He tried to deceive her. And so, she needs to put the belt of truth on. You know, sometimes you see these kids with their pants halfway down their uh, legs. And you, you, you want to go take your belt off and give it to them. In some way, you want to give them your belt. Yeah, I'm glad you got that. I didn't say it that way originally, but it came out that way. Now, we, uh, you need to tighten your belt. Pull your pants up. Because you're going to be deceived. You know, I told the first service, I, we, I forget where we were, but this image is still in my mind. This kid had his pants down to here, but he had to hold on to them in the front. You know, he had to hold on to them because they were going to fall. But it was cool to show your underwear. You know, that's cool. And I told him, I could preach a whole sermon on that, by the way. There's a place in the Bible that talks about the underwear of the priest. And, um, and something happened. He had to let go with one hand. He started running, and his pants went down to his ankles. Of course, you, if your pants go down to your ankles, you can't run. Right? And it was so funny. I just wanted to sit there in my car. I was watching. And uh, look, we got we to gotta put this belt on. It's truth. We got we to gotta live in the truth. You can't live in the truth if you don't know the truth. You can't expect your kids to hold their own in university or college if they don't know the truth. they got to know what and why they believe. The belt of truth. It defends against deception. And then there's the breastplate of righteousness that defends against compromise. The devil, when he slithered in there, he told her, he said, Hey, uh, you know, did God really say that? Really? You know, you're, um, you're a smart person. Did God really say if you eat that, you'll die? And she said, yeah, well, he did. Well, God didn't really mean that. You know, you'll be like God. You'll be like God if you eat this. This was, a, this was asking her to compromise. And here's what compromise is. It's very sneaky. When God's standards become ideals, that's called compromise. When the, when the standard of God in your mind, becomes a good suggestion or a good idea. You know, that's what God says, and you should do that if you want this and could do that, but, you know, you really don't have to. That's called compromise. When the standards become ideals, it's a great way to live. You should try it. No, it's the only way to live. It's the only way to live. If you want to go to heaven when you die, it's the only way to live. And so this breastplate of righteousness surrounds us with an intentional effort to do the right thing and not compromise. And boy, we live in an age of compromise. Uh, we, we just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We just don't want to push our way into anything. And the church needs to wake up. We need to wake up. And then there's, uh, there's the, I love the, the gospel shoes. 
The gospel shoes, you know, I talked about them just a while ago. The gospel shoes defend against complacency. The devil told Eve, she, he said, uh, you know, if, you, if you'll eat this fruit, you'll be like God. And then you don't worry about the garden. You don't have to tend that garden anymore. You can sit back and take it easy. You'll be like him. I mean, he's not tending any garden. God's not tending any garden. Where's he at? Why should you do that? Choose your comfort over his calling in your life. Well, that's what we've done, haven't we? In America, we've chosen comfort over calling. We need to get our shoes on, take our slippers off. You know, this, the devil wants us in socks and slippers. And when I was a kid, you know, we used to run around barefoot outside. Did you guys run around barefoot outside? We don't let our kids do that much anymore, do we? I don't know why. It's like, you're going to die if you do that. We used to run around barefoot, and then our, the bottom of our feet got tough. And then we could just walk across gravel. Or hot fires or whatever. We, yeah, nails. Don't try that. Don't try that. But when we started putting our shoes on, we got tender-footed. Now, this, I don't know if this defeats what I'm trying to say here, but you need to put these shoes on. Because these shoes are not socks or slippers. They're shoes to run in. Jeff, you have good shoes to run in. You're a runner. You probably buy shoes just to run in, don't you? Remember when that guy ran past you in his... No, that was Steve Fox. The guy ran past him in his uh, loafers. That when he decided he needed to start running. You were riding up the hill on the, uh, the bicycle past you, right? Jeff started running. He buys special shoes for this. These shoes say, I'm ready. I'm ready to run. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to stand my ground. I'm ready to climb the mountain. Isaiah 52 is where Romans 10 came from. And Isaiah 52 which is what Paul's quoting in Romans 10 when he said, how beautiful are the feet. The Isaiah passage actually says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Sometimes I feel like we're not ready. We're not ready with an answer. We're not ready with an explanation of why we do what we do. We're just not ready. We're getting caught off guard. We're getting caught with our pants down in many cases. And the church... And we have the answer. We have the victor already. We can't get caught off guard. Boy, this is a serious battle. I'm not getting a lot of help from you guys. But this is a serious battle. If the devil can, can uh, uh, catch us unaware or off guard, he can make some inroads into our family and into our life. Somebody said, oh, preacher, I'm having trouble in my marriage. You got trouble in your marriage? That's nothing, nothing new. You should have guessed that. You know, you, you should have understood that before you got married. Who did your counseling? There's a lot of couples that don't want to hear that. They're going to have trouble because everything's, everything's so good. You're going to have trouble. Jesus told us in this world. You're going to have trouble. And then there's the shield of faith. This is my favorite. Shield of faith defends against isolation. And I'll cut right to the chase. How many of you saw the movie 300. That's our favorite movie in the, in the military. We love that movie. And there's this, I think maybe it was Thermopylae or somewhere where the Greeks, uh, where the Greeks held back the Persian army. And this is based on, you know, what actual facts that supposedly happened. Can they be actual facts if they supposedly happen? You know, as far as we know, all of history is supposedly happened, right? And they, the Greeks gathered together and, you know, they, sometimes they fought and the Romans would fight with a small sword when they were fighting hand to hand but when they had to collapse back and form a line they they created they had these big shields and they created what's called a phalanx 
P-H-A-L-A-N-X. And a phalanx came together. And it not only protected you, it protected the guy next to you because his was right up next to yours and there was a line there. And you remember the Persians trying to press in and they used these spears and they stabbed them from the back. And then now, not only were the Persians having trouble pushing against this formidable line, but now they had to step on their dead buddies or step over them to get to the line. So the phalanx was an incredible, incredible weapon. And the reason it fights against isolation is because if you put your shield up all by yourself, then you're going to be outflanked. And by the way, that's why the Romans gave this way of fighting up because people were running around the edge and they didn't know how to use it like the Greeks did. The Greeks said, well, we got flanks. And you remember the movie. Nobody in the church, no Christian should ever walk alone when it comes to a problem or an issue. We are so secretive. We want to hide our sin. We, want, we don't want the accountability or the confession. But I want to tell you something. You can't win this battle by yourself. we got to come together. This is the power of the church, the power of the community, to come together and say, you help me, I'll help you. And this is, this is why this shield wall is formed. Because we as the church got to stand up and stand firm. I love the way he says that. When you've done everything, stand. And then he says again, stand firm. Then finally there's the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. These, these are, that's the, that's the, uh, the helmet is like, I know, I'm, I know God has saved me. I'm not going to let you convince me otherwise. I know this and uh, I'm going to keep this helmet on. And the sword of the spirit is kind of an offensive weapon. And this goes against discouragement. I don't know if you've read any of the C.S. Lewis books, but C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest Christian thinkers of our time, he really formed Christian theology now as we know it. He wrote back during World War II when England was being bombed by the Germans. And a lot of his writing reflects his uh, you know, environment. The Chronicles of Narnia and a lot of these books that he wrote kind of reflect that culture. And in one particular writing that he wrote called The Screwtape Letters, he describes this master demon, this leader of demons called Screwtape, who's talking to his nephew named Wormwood. And Screwtape is trying to uh, describe to Wormwood what it takes to beat Mr. Christian. And he says, no, 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 don't bomb them, because Mr. Christian was, was evading all these bombs that were coming down from the demons. And the screw tape had to pull his nephew aside and say, don't do that. Don't bomb him because if you bomb him, you might kill him. And if you kill Mr. Christian, he goes right to heaven. And he wins. You don't want to do that. He said, stop the bombing. Just start poking him. And poke him today and then poke him a little bit tomorrow. And do it over a whole lifetime because it's so hard for Mr. Christian to keep going in the right direction over a long period of time. It's too hard for Mr. Christian to develop perseverance is actually what the, what the text says. You know why? Because Mr. Christian gets discouraged. He gets discouraged and he says, man, we're, we're losing. I mean, look at evil pressing in on every side. In a nation that's supposed to be founded on Christian principles. You know, look at what happens in a, with, with abortion and uh, in so many places. Injustices all over. We ought to know better. And so we get discouraged and we'll be like Mr. Christian over a period of time. It's like, I don't know if this is even true anymore. I don't know if God is even true anymore. And we throw in the towel. 
Rest assured, God is true. And this weaponry will protect us. And then there's a last one. This is the other weapon. Freedom to choose, full armor of God, and then there's prayer. Prayer. Six times in these two verses, Paul says to pray. In verses 18 and 19, I'm not sure what version you're reading, but he says pray in the Spirit. I think that's in submission to with guidance of the Spirit. He says pray all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests. Keep on praying. Pray for me, he said, to have the words to preach. And pray for me to boldly preach the gospel. Six times, he says, here's your weapon. It's pray. It's to pray. And that's what we got to do. We treat prayer like a 911 call instead of our main weapon. And we need, to, we need to be here praying and we need to leave here praying. And we need to pray before we leave. I want you to stand with me. I want to pray. I want to pray and I want to encourage you to pray. I, I can't make you pray. But this, you know, you think, well, what can I do? The world's so bad and all these things are happening. What can I do? You can pray. Isn't it amazing? The number one weapon God gave us was not any special giftedness. You don't have to be able to preach. You don't have to be able to sing like these guys are playing instrument. You can pray. Everybody can pray. Isn't that cool? Everybody can pray. And that's the way God made it. Would you bow with me and let's do it. And uh, raise your hands to heaven if you want to and let's ask God. Lord, God, thank you so much for your goodness and grace. The power that you give us with the gospel and with the Holy Spirit is far greater in us than the one who is in the world. We have an enemy, God, but you are so much greater and you have already defeated him. You pinned him down at the cross. You pinned him at the cross so that his influence was so much smaller. And, and you're going to take him and cast him into the lake of fire. And we, we just long for that day, Lord, when you wrap up human history and we can celebrate a true victor's victory. And that's the only victor. That's Jesus. I pray, God, that you give us the courage to stand in the fight, to stay with it, and keep going. And never give up until you return or you call us home. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Keep praying, folks. Keep praying. And if you're here today and you, you, you don't know how to pray or you don't know who to pray to, I'd love to talk to you about that. Steve would talk to you about that, any of us here, and how to get you going in that next step uh, of coming to Christ and learning to walk with Him. If you want to come talk to me during the song, do that. Let's sing.